you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Over the season of Lent, the lectionary is going to have us bouncing through various readings from the Hebrew Scriptures. Last week from Deuteronomy, tonight from Genesis, and then for the next three Sundays from the prophet Isaiah. Tonight's text, with its slaying of animals and Abram's deep sleep in which a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him, can strike us as being very ancient, elusive, and really rather arcane. So it requires some detailed commentary. I'll start there. Now, a few chapters earlier in Genesis, God had come to Abram and Sarai. They've not yet received their new names of Abraham and Sarah. God comes to them with a promise that they would become a great nation. They were to get up, Abram was told, and, quote, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And they did. In spite of the fact that Sarai was unable to have children and past the age of childbearing, and it all made this business of fathering a great nation rather a puzzle. And now here in tonight's story, many years later, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. There's a problem here, Lord. Abram laments, where are my children? At this point, it is to my servant, Eliezer of Damascus, that all of my property will fall when I die. This is not what I signed on for when we left Haran all of those years ago. Where are my children? Here the Lutheran biblical scholar Rolf Jacobson comments, In the Bible, God does not desire followers who are meek and mild, compliant and quiet, at least not in relationship to God. God wants sufferers who fight back. God invites us to own and be in touch with the deepest hurts and the brightest hopes in our souls. For Abram, this hope was to have a child. After all, the Lord has promised. The Lord had promised. He and Sarai had turned their lives upside down in response to that promise. And now as they continue to age, that promise from God is beginning to ring awfully hollow. Even when the Lord comes to him and says, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess, Abraham does not sit meekly. He doesn't quietly hum, que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. And for anyone under the age of about 50, that song was a big hit for Doris Day in the late 1950s <laughs> and a radio staple for many years. And that que Sarah, Sarah became kind of a bit of a catchphrase for don't worry. No, that's not what Abraham does. Instead, he continues to boldly voice his complaint. 
O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How? And here, Rolf Jacobson comments, in the context of matters about which the Lord has made a promise, to complain is to remind the Lord of those as yet unmet promises. In his lament, Abram was implying, and more, that God had not kept those promises. God had not yet proven faithful. Well, this is the point that the intensity of the whole scene really ramps right up. Abram is instructed to bring a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon to cut the three animals in half, laying each half against the other. To what end? Some sort of animal sacrifice? A task to be carried out to cajole God into acting? No. See, in that world, covenants, treaties, or solemn pledges between two people or two tribal groups, those covenants were sealed by cutting animals in half, setting them apart and then having both parties walk between them. It was meant to symbolize the, the life and death character of the sealed promises, in effect saying, if I break my word, if I break this covenant, I deserve the same that has been done to that animal. A covenant promise between people was that serious. So, here things are all prepared for just such a covenant promise to be made. The animals are half, the birds are killed and laid to the sides. And then this very strange thing happens. First of all, Abram falls into his deep sleep and experiences what the writer calls a deep and terrifying darkness, which suggests that in his sleep, he is more in the presence of the sheer holiness of God than he's ever before been, almost as if awake that holiness might have destroyed him. And then in that darkness... A smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Now that's clearly meant to represent the Lord God passing between them, sealing a covenant promise. To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. But Abram is asleep in the deep darkness Abram is not asked to pass between the halves of the slain animals, but rather only to see in the darkness of his sleep that the Lord has passed through. The Lord is taking all of the risk in this covenant, in other words, all of it. And so, Jacobson comments, when the Lord passed between the cleaved goat, sheep, ram and between the dead birds, the Lord was saying to Abram, I promise to give you both descendants and the land. I pledge my very life, the life of God, as surety of this promise. If I fail to keep this promise, let me be slain just as the goat, the sheep, and the ram were slain. Wow. 
Those slain animals were not even remotely like a blood sacrifice offered to appease or cajole God, but rather this ritual was the culturally recognizable way to seal a covenant with life and death seriousness, and it is only God who makes that life and death pledge. Abram, for his part, is asked only to trust that the God who has called him is the sort of God prepared even to die for him. And suddenly, at that moment, it becomes clear why the lectionary has us read this story in Lent. And how it is that it lands on the same Sunday in which we read in the Gospel according to Luke of how Jesus longed to be a mother hen to the people of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. It is an extraordinary image that Jesus applies to himself here. A mother hen. Roosters, well, they rule the roost. Roosters are territorial. They'll do all they can to fight and protect their territory. But that's very different from the hen. A hen will draw her chicks under the shelter of her wings, sometimes to keep them dry from the rain, sometimes to protect them from predators. If a hawk is hungrily circling and eyeing her brood, Or if a fox is lurking close, the hen's wings will spread over her young ones, potentially at the cost of her own life. After a barnyard fire, farmers have been known to find the charred dead body of a hen spread out over her very alive chicks. To shelter her young like that is to give up her life. And here, Jesus says that he has longed to do that for the people of Jerusalem, a city more lost than it ever could even begin to know. He longed to do it, to draw them in and shelter them at any risk, but they were not willing. And yet, Christ the mother hen didn't stop or hold back But instead, on one dark Friday afternoon, on a hill just outside of Jerusalem, the mother hen insistently spread those wings over us all. And Christ, the mother hen, still looks with love and with longing on us all. And so to close, a prayer by St. Anselm of Canterbury from the 11th century Jesus, like a mother, you gather your people to you. You are gentle with us as a mother with her children. Often you weep over our sins and our pride. Tenderly you draw us from hatred and judgment. You comfort us in sorrow and bind up our wounds. In sickness you nurse us, and with pure milk you feed us. Jesus, by your dying, we are born to new life. By your anguish and your labor, we come forth in joy. Despair turns to hope through your sweet goodness. Through your gentleness, we find comfort in fear. 
Your warmth gives life to the dead. Your touch makes sinners righteous. Lord Jesus, in your mercy, heal us. In your love and tenderness, remake us. In your compassion, bring grace and forgiveness. For the beauty of heaven, may your love prepare us. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.